Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. And the verses 26 and 27 I leave with you tonight. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. We made some introductory comments this morning on Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through to 38, the annunciation of the birth of Christ that was made to Mary. And we are tonight looking at these two verses which form the preface. I said that the story is divided into two. There's a preface before us, 26 and 27, and then there is the story proper, verses 28 to 38. The latter part is really the video. Uh, the preface is a kind of introduction. It's giving the background of the encounter between the angel and Mary. We're watching the action in the story. We'll see that. We'll come to that. But we need some background information to know what's happening. What is it actually that is taking place? So these words at the start are not just vain words, but they're filling in the historic details of the event that is about to take place. These are the essential things that you have to know before you enter into the house with the angel. The story won't make sense unless you know these things, unless you have this information. This is the kind of the information outside the package that we have to read and be aware of before we go in to the story. So they're not just filling up the space. The apostles don't write like that, but just to fill up space. The apostles write as concisely as possible to convey the truth of God to our hearts. And Luke has done that, so there's not a vain word. Every word is important, and especially the preface this story. The action is later. This preface is not about action but needful information. Even though it's such a long preface there are only actually two verbs. The verbs are the action words, the doing words. This preface has only two verbs and those verbs relate to the past. Not to the present so to speak or the activity in the story but they're relating to the past. The first verb is the verb sent now why is this angel here? What's he doing at all in Nazareth? He's been sent. God sent him. That's the past. He's here at the door of Mary on a mission. We need to know that. That bit of information. This is a heavenly action in the past before the story that brings this angel to the door of the house. And then the other verb is the verb espouse. Because this woman that he comes to in this house that he's going to have an encounter with, she is already a spouse. She has a husband. But there has not been the marriage yet. There has not been the consummation of the marriage. 
The espousal in Bible times is an engagement. It's a public affair. The families are involved. It's all seen. It's all witnessed. And they don't live together, the espoused couple, but legally, and in the eyes of everybody about, it's as if they're married, but haven't come together yet, and won't do so until the marriage day, which is later. And legally speaking, Joseph is her husband. But they're only engaged. And to break that engagement would be a terrible sin in Israel. So we have this information. She's a spouse, but she's still a virgin. You have to know that. Before we go into the story. And so this is part of the, the information at the start. And these pieces of information are, are vital. And we're told that there are five persons that we need to be aware about we're aware of as we go into this story. There are five persons identified in the text, and I'll refer to them at present, and we'll meet them again, I'm sure, but we need to be aware of them now, and so I, I point them out. This is the information you, you need to know as you, as you go in here. First of all, God, he's in the story. He's in the preface. It's God that sent this angel. This angel's on a mission from God. Then, secondly, the angel himself, Gabriel, because God is pleased to involve heaven in this mission, heaven in this story. It's not just a story about men, but it's a story about angels too. And there's a representative from among the angels who is privileged to take part in this. So there's the angel Gabriel. And then there's Mary herself, who we are told is a virgin. And she is espoused, and this is the fourth character, to a man named Joseph. We have to have Joseph in the back of our minds too. God has reckoned him in the story. And then also David. Because there's something very special about this man. He belongs to the house of David. And that's hundreds and hundreds of years before the story is not independent. The story, while it is a self-contained unit, the story is part of a greater story. A greater story that goes back to David, back to the house of David. And we have to know this. This is something to do with promises that were made to David. And this angel here, sent by God to the house of Mary, who's espoused to Joseph, who has the connection with David, those are the essentials to know as we enter in. And all this information belongs to the preface. And then there is also the geography. Because we're told the place, it's identified. Where does this virgin live? She lives in Galilee. He wants us to know that. He doesn't just say Nazareth. But he wants us to know the region the Galilean region, and specifically the city, Nazareth. The geography, the locality, the space, place. And there is a time stated. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent 
from God onto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. The number six occurs. The sixth, a very important number in the Bible. It's not there by accident. It's there by design. The sick and all these bits of information are on the package. As we go in here to hear this announcement and to become conscious of this great miracle that takes place in this house. I think the most important words among all of these words in the preface are the words sent by God. I think those are the words you have to underline, sent from God. They're the hinge in the preface. Everything turns on that. On the one side, the one sent, Gabriel. On the other side, the one that he sent to, the Virgin Mary, his spouse to Joseph, in the house in Nazareth. That's on the other side. But the hinge that turns it all that makes it all possible, that brings it about, is God. God sent him. God brought him. God led him to this place. God makes Gabriel an apostle. Now, God usually raised up prophets. That's how he normally worked. But this is so spectacular an event. This requires an angel from his presence. And he sends Gabriel. The message is God's. The messenger is God's. The mission is God's. It's all God's plan. All God's purpose. All God's sovereign will. And I have to talk about the sovereignty of God in all of this. We saw this morning the Lord God. That name talks of his sovereignty. And a very important thing in the sovereignty of God is election. Election. Election is a basic understanding of the way God works in his sovereignty. Now, I have to say this because the modern mind is repulsed by election. Divine election and sovereign God. The modern mind doesn't like a God picking and a God choosing. A God deciding on one and not deciding on another. The modern mind abhors that. The modern mind has the one man, one vote. Everybody's equal. We're all the same. We all are entitled to the same. And they are repelled by the idea of a chosen one. But God is sovereign. And the doctrine meets us here at the preface. At the very start of the story, there is an election because one angel out of heaven is chosen, Gabriel. And all of humanity is reduced to one woman, a virgin, in Nazareth. Election. Why Gabriel and not Michael or some other of the innumerable angels? Why Nazareth and not Jerusalem? Why Galilee and not Judah? Why Mary, a nobody and not a princess of this world? Why? 
because God is Lord God and God is sovereign and election is part of his sovereignty and election is seen everywhere in his work heaven is narrowed to one angel Gabriel and all humanity is narrowed to one virgin Mary of course this election is not an end in itself it is to a greater end the salvation of a greater election the election of a greater multitude chosen out of all nations and peoples unto the ends of the earth a people that no man can number God's chosen people the church of Christ the elect from every nation congregation there is no salvation without election at every stage of the work of salvation there is election and anyone who doesn't like election has a problem with God being God being Lord God no salvation without God and his electing grace mankind is not seeking God mankind's paths don't lead to God salvation is God seeking man and coming to the door of man it's God doing something about man and for man and not the other way around the Lord God that bringeth salvation what did, what did we read tonight in Isaiah I'm the saviour I know nobody else I save alone and a very important word in that chapter that we read is the word chosen and so the way in which God does this is at every stage is selective and sovereign God chooses his son his Christ even he is called my elect my chosen one Christ is chosen of God to be the saviour even the person who dies on the cross is chosen by God he chooses him to be the seed of the woman. He chooses Abraham and he chooses Abraham's race and he chooses Judah's tribe and he chooses David's house and he waits till it's reduced to the poverty of a house in Nazareth and he chooses Mary. Christ is born, my elect. And he dies and he sends his Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit goes into the four corners of the earth to draw from the four corners of the earth God's elect, the Lord God who bringeth salvation at every stage, election. We shouldn't have problems with election. We are saved if we're saved. We're saved because of it. The electing grace of God. It's part of the eternal plan sent by God in his sovereignty and all of these bits of information tell us that this is history not myth history real time space real place Galilee, Nazareth the sixth month time, space, geography historical persons real event Real redemptive act history in the making. The scene is Galilee, the house of a pauper. 
and the angel has come into the house and she's not sleeping. I believe she's in her prayers when he comes in or else she's just ended them. I say that because there was a lesser annunciation to Joseph that takes place later and we read about that in Matthew's Gospel. And when that annunciation took place Joseph was sleeping. It was just a dream. Because God can send revelations by dream and he most usually does in the ancient times. So Joseph had a dream and God sent the angel in the dream to comfort him and guide him about the way ahead concerning his espoused wife Mary. Came in a dream. But this is not a dream. This is a real event. God the Holy Spirit does not work upon a sleeping virgin dreaming. He works on a, a virgin who has been praying to God, who has been seeking the Lord, and the angel bursts in upon her, and the Holy Spirit overshadows her as he announces the word of God. And a miracle takes place. It's real event. And she's very much awake, very much alert. It happened in time, the sixth month. It happened in space, real space, the Nazareth house. It's a miracle. In a dream, there's no need for time, space, or material event. You can get the information, you know, just in the dream. But this is not just about information. This is about the Holy Spirit accompanying this angel. And this is about a creative work taking place, a miracle in the womb of the Virgin. This is a story. That is history. Real event, not myth. Not cunningly devised fables. History in the making. The presence of the angel. She saw him, it says. She heard the salutation. And she saw him leave. And the door closed behind him. It was as real as that. And that's very important. Very vital. That we know that this is real presence. And a miracle taking place in history. An event as real as creation itself in the beginning. And as I said this morning, this miracle, the conception of a human form in the room of a virgin, is a miracle of miracles. It's a miracle of miracles. It's the greatest miracle. It's a creative miracle. It's a genesis. I said that this morning. I repeat it again tonight. There's a genesis here. And I think that's what the number six reminds us of. Now I know the angel is referring to uh, six months ago. That was month one. He appeared to Zacharias. Elizabeth conceived. Now six months later. He comes to this woman. She conceives. It is six months but those six months are like six days. The angel mentions those six months again in verse 36. Twice the word sixth occurs. It doesn't occur often in the Gospels. The sixth. In six days God created the world. Day six. At its conclusion and at its grand climax... God made man, the first man, 
the first Adam, day six. And creation was building up to that grand climax. You know, mankind is the climax of God's creation. And he hasn't finished what he has planned to do with mankind yet. It's still an ongoing story. But that day six, the final act was the creation of Adam and Eve. The sixth day. The start of humanity. And this sixth that occurs here is reminding us that this is the start of a new humanity. A new man. The last Adam. And so it marks the moment when the Son of God took on flesh and God joined to himself material creature. Creature material. And entered into his creation in a way that he has not done hitherto at that point. It's a miracle of miracles. The incarnation requires our deepest and most earnest reflections throughout all our life. We can never cease to wonder at this. It's without controversy for the people of God. Paul says that. Without controversy, it's the mystery of godliness. We can't get to the bottom of it. But it's without controversy. There's no controversy about it in heaven. And there's no controversy about it in in the church. We believe in the virgin birth. We believe that God was manifested in flesh. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in flesh. God himself. The Godhead bodily. Great mystery. And we search it out with all our might. And we can't fathom its depths. But there's no controversy concerning it as an article of our faith. God was made man and the word was made flesh. And it took place in time, space, history. And it took place at the moment of conception. Here. In Nazareth. Not in Bethlehem. Nine months later is not the great event. Bethlehem is not the great event. Bethlehem is only the manifestation. The visibility of it. In the birth of the incarnate one. But the miracle. Was nine months before in the house of Mary as the Holy Spirit broods over her womb accompanying the angelic word the miracle is in Nazareth you know that and it's a miracle of miracles we read Isaiah behold I will do a new thing this is it this is what the prophet is referring to I'll do a new thing now it'll spring forth Shall ye not know it? And make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. This is where it all begins. In this new thing. This holy thing. This child Jesus. How long wilt thou go about, O thy backsliding daughter, Jeremiah says. For the Lord hath created a new thing in the earth. A woman shall compass a man a new thing 
And so its spring is a virgin's womb. And twice we are told this in actual fact in the preface, just to make sure it sinks in, she is twice called the virgin. In verse 27. So the event at Bethlehem is not primary. It is nine months before, that is. The creative event was then in the sixth cycle. Of course, it's low-key here. It's just in a pauper's house. It's not spectacular as the birth nine months later, whenever it's all, all the singing of the angels and all the rest. But nevertheless, we must keep this in mind when the miracle took place. And to me, if there was nothing else against abortion in all the Bible, to me, this proves the sinfulness and the wickedness of it. Because Christ's humanity did not begin, he didn't begin to become a man when he was born. He began to become a man when he was conceived. hidden away in the safety of Mary's womb. And she was delighted to receive him too, and to carry him and to bear him. She was willing, and she wanted that new life as it was announced to her by the angel. And her conception was utterly unique. But the principle is still the same. Every human life from conception is precious. Body and soul Though just a few cells at the commencement of it, yet it is life. Human life. That is not created by man, but by God. And every mother should be like Mary. However the baby may be conceived, is not the question. The question is, is it human life in the womb? And if it's human life in the womb, the mother must protect it, preserve it, and look upon it as her calling by God. However she was brought into that calling, whatever the circumstances of it, she must look upon it as her calling to bring it into the world, this human life. So let us pray that all expectant mothers may receive grace to want their child and to wish to bring it into the world. That's the best way to pray. That women would want their children. That the wicked desire to abort them might be removed from their hearts. And that governments would be moved to remove all facilitation whereby the wicked desire to destroy that life might come about. It is interesting how all four Gospels bring us to Genesis. We saw this morning the name the Lord God, and that comes from Genesis chapter 2 and 3. The Lord God made heaven and earth, and it's the Lord God who is conceiving the life in the womb here of Mary. 
Luke begins with Genesis. When he goes to the genealogy of Jesus, he goes right up to Adam. He goes back to Genesis. All the Gospel writers do this. Matthew, he takes Genesis language, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the book of the Genesis of Jesus Christ. Mark even, and he has a very, no, nothing at all about the birth of Christ, he even has to bring it in, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He has to take that word beginning from Genesis 1 verse 1. He's linking us back to Genesis 2. Even though he won't show us the birth and the youth of Jesus, he still wants us to know the beginning. Genesis. It goes back to there. And of course John is special in this because he says that he is imitating the book of Genesis. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word made all things. There's nothing made that the Word didn't make. And now the Word himself who made all things is now made flesh. So all the gospel writers bring us back to Genesis. Why? Because this is what this is in the womb of the virgin. It's a Genesis. It's a new creation. This is the beginning of the new heavens and the new earth which only Jesus Christ brings in. He brings it all in. And that's why he is taking flesh in the womb of the virgin to that end. And the means whereby he does it is completed at the cross. When he died for our sins. But the incarnation is most necessary. And this sixth reminds us of that. Because the sixth is associated with the creation of man, with the life of man. The sixth commandment is, Thou shalt not kill for in the image of God man was made. The sixth commandment. And so we are reminded that here. And the name of the angel also has to be pointed out. His name means man of God. A very strange name for an angel I can tell you. Man of God. The Hebrew word it's a compound, but the, the Hebrew part of it, which means man, is nearly always translated man in the Old Testament scriptures. Here's a man of God, an angel, Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. A constant reminder of what God is going to do to humanity. And when there's any special mission in regard to Messiah, to the God-man, it's the one Gabriel, this man of God, this angel identified with humanity it's this angel that goes on the mission about it, which is why he's sent here, that's not the first time he's been sent, he was sent to Daniel as well, in Daniel chapter 9, and there again it's an answer to prayer and he breaks in on, on Daniel and he gives Daniel the vision of the 70 weeks on Messiah the prince and how Messiah will prince will do away with the sacrifice and bring in the covenant and take away sin and transgression and bring in righteousness. He's announcing the God-man. He's announcing Messiah. He's announcing Christ. God normally raises up prophets to do that. But when there's something very special from heaven, it's Gabriel that does it. The man of God. In fact, in Daniel, he's called a man. Even though he's an angel. It's quite remarkable, actually. 
It's in um, Daniel chapter 9, verse 21. While I was speaking in prayer, even the man, Gabriel, he doesn't say the angel, Gabriel. He says the man, Gabriel. That's, that, that's amazing. And Luke knows all of this. And he's bringing all of this in to identify the mission and the thing that God has in his plan. And Gabriel, before his presence in all of eternity, up from his creation, as a reminder of what he's going to do with humanity. And Gabriel, among all the angels, he seems to be the one who is most aware and most taught of God's plan for mankind and the incarnation. It is this angel that is sent here accompanying the conception miracle that the Holy Spirit brings upon the womb of Mary. And so Gabriel's testimony is of the interest that the angels have in the human race. God's plan is to exalt man above the angels. Imagine that. Above the angels. And Gabriel's aware of this. A man is exalted above the angels in Jesus Christ. This man formed in the womb of the virgin. Because he's at the right hand of God. He's in the majesty and high. He's reigning with the Father. And he is appearing in human form. Higher than the angels. And that's what God has planned for us. You know, God is so, he so loves the human race. It's just utterly incredible. Even though we have sinned and apostatized, it is still his plan to do this to us. In Jesus Christ. It's a great salvation. It's wonderful. It's, it's amazing. And you're in the story here. Well, you say, well, where, where am I in the story here? Can I see myself in the story here? Yes, you're in the story. You see, it's not to Jerusalem he goes. It's not to Judah he goes. It's to Galilee. And what is Galilee in the mind of the Hebrews? Galilee is Galilee of the Gentiles. Galilee of the Gentiles. Where all the trade routes are. Where all the Gentiles travelling from west to east and from north to south. All passing through Galilee. They don't all pass through Jerusalem. But they all pass through Galilee. Especially if they're going to the west. And all the hotels and all the locations and all the places where the Gentiles stay are up there in Galilee. And this angel knows this. And that's where the house of David has been reduced to. To a little hovel in Nazareth in Galilee of the Gentiles. And that's us. Gentiles. Far off Gentiles. And the angel comes and the conception of Christ takes place in Galilee of the Gentiles because he's a saviour not only for the Jews but for us. Us far off Gentiles. We're in the story. Bless his name. We're in the story. We're part of the narrative. We who are far off are brought nigh. Christ came for us 
too. This angel is sent to us as well. Mary bears in her womb Christ for us as well. Faith brings us into the story because we believe in Jesus Christ. We take hold of Jesus Christ. We Gentiles. And we are part of the story. Part of this narrative of redemption. He loved us. He came for us. He died for us. Bless his name. That Christ is ours too. And with the words of the Nicene Creed, I believe in the one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, who for us men, for our salvation, came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us. This we confess. This we believe. It's for us. Bless his name. And to him with the Father and the Holy Spirit be all the glory world without end. Amen. Let us pray. We stand together, please.